Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets Up listeners? Back here for episode number 51 of the Mets Up podcast. I'm your co-host, Mark Luino. Giraffe Neck Mark here with James Schiano. Jeter had no range. Talking about the New York Mets series against the Philadelphia Phillies. And it's a really common theme that's been happening recently. The Mets played poorly. The Mets laid down. There was no fight. And the season is over. We've known this. We've known this for a couple episodes now, but we're really just, we're twisting the knife. We're, we're making it a lot worse. We want everyone to know that there's no hope left in this year. And that's just kind of how the team's been. It's kind of been the MO the last few months since the trade deadline, as much as guys like Javi Baez, and even a guy like Rich Hill, who had a great start again on Sunday night. Those guys can only do so much. We need some of the other dudes to step up. And it feels like we haven't been able to get a full team performance in the last few months, outside of that Yankee series, there haven't been a lot of highlights here. But hey, we're still going to talk about every single game, as we always do. Game 1, 2, and 3, as well as some of the off-season rumors that have been uh, flying around a little bit. A little Billy Bean talk as a possible maybe new president of baseball operations. We'll we'll cover it all here on the Mets Up Podcast, episode number 51. Make sure you guys are following us on Twitter and Instagram, as well as TikTok, at Mets Up. YouTube channel, if you want the video content, Mets Up Podcast. Big shout out to everybody who watched the last video on the YouTube channel. It's our best performing one in like the first 24 hours or whatever it was. Killing it. Appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, make sure you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you are. Follow us there. Subscribe. Drop us a five-star rating. Drop us a review. It really does help us out. And that's all I got for the self, you know, promo spiel. James, Mets, Phillies, Series. Not a lot great to talk about here. How are you feeling? Awful. Such a terrible series. This Mets team that we were so hopeful about for so long just has absolutely no fight. We can just smell them later because they're not really even waking up. They're not, uh, what's, what's the phrase? Uh, taking the call, calling the challenge, something along those lines. Taking the call to action. The Mets are there just, is, yeah. take, the Mets are not taking the call to action. In a season where we were legitimately just three games out of a playoff spot when we spoke one week ago after an emotional Sunday night, again, Sunday night baseball victory win over the New York Yankees. To just have this awful week of juiceless baseball where there was no juice to be found, completely dry baseball, it sucks. It really sucks. Yeah, they just it would have been great, and the Mets have been doing this all year, just kind of keeping us hanging around. And it feels like they even still did it in this series at times because, again, a lot of close games that we just can't get over that hump and get that victory. Really frustrating to watch. Really uninspired baseball. It's it's hard to watch as a fan, especially knowing that the season's over and then seeing the guys play like this. It's not the dog in it, which we've never you know accused no. guys of doing, but it's just like there's that fire doesn't feel to be there. It feels like the Mets themselves also know that this season is essentially over. 
and it feels like we're just kind of coasting into next season trying to figure out what's going to be next. Something that I'm, I regret to admit, but on Friday night was the first time all season I turned down tickets to a Mets game. Wow. Turned mm-hmm. down tickets. Yeah, sucks. Yeah, I, I, I do want to still go out. We've talked about it. We're going to the Marlins series. we got to go to one game because yeah. we just got to you know have a send-off. We're not going to have baseball for a few months here. We need closure. Need closure. Need closure. A Marlins series is perfect. Uh, no way to really torture us more than watching us play really close baseball with a bad Miami Marlins team. But we'll have a few beers in us. We'll have a, a few free sandwiches from a bodega. We're going to go the cheap way, but we're going to have a good time. Let's talk about game one. Uh, Zach Wheeler on the mound for the Phillies. And as you put so well in the notes, the Mets will never beat Zach Wheeler again. It'll never happen. I'm going to drop some Zach Wheeler stats in a few minutes once we get through about what happened on Friday night. I'm shocked that we've ever beat him once pitching for the Phillies because whenever he walks to the mound, it's like every like little morsel of talent that some of the guys on this team still seem like they might have is completely gone from their bodies, their minds, their souls. Everything is gone. And the first three innings were just an unmitigated disaster. The only base runner the Mets had against Zach Wheeler was Taiwan being hit by a pitch with two outs in the third. <laughs> That was it. It's different. We've talked about some of the pitchers this year that have, you know, been stalled or stalemated us offensively. And their stuff hasn't been Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler is a good pitcher. Zach Wheeler is one of the better pitchers in baseball. He's having a Cy Young caliber season. He is a clear ace on this Philadelphia Phillies team. So it feels a lot better when at least you're getting shut out by an ace and not Matt Moore or Chase Anderson like we've seen at times this year. John Lester. John Lester, oh God, jeez, I didn't even want to bring up John Lester because that guy stinks, but it just, it still doesn't make it better, especially because he was a Met, and me and you both, un, you know, it wasn't planned, but we both had the same take about Zach Wheeler when he left the Mets, and this, I don't think, is a groundbreaking one, but I think we were a little more aggressive than a lot of people because when Wheeler signed with the Phillies for that $23 million a year contract, it was called an overpay. By the way, his market value at the time was considered to be $20 million. Imagine freaking out over $3 million a year to get an ace starting pitcher like Zach Wheeler. At the time, I know in my video, I called him Garrett Cole Light, saying that they basically threw similar type pitches, similar velo. Everything was very similar, even down to their mechanics was very, very similar. And it felt like Zach Wheeler was getting ready to do what Garrett Cole did when we went to Houston, which was take his game to the next level. And that's exactly what we see him do in Philly. And it sucks because now we're going to have to see this guy four or five times a year for the next four or five seasons. And we're just, like you said, not going to be able to beat him. It, it doesn't matter. He's just that good. In that same offseason, I was going pretty hard applying to baseball internships. And I applied to a Phillies uh, player development internship. And I wrote my entire application about how you can turn Zach Wheeler into Garrett Cole earlier in that offseason around November and I wrote paragraphs upon paragraphs like going into his pitch design and like his repertoire and like his pitch percentages like by starts and by months and they didn't hire me and they did it I told that story a few months ago but for all the new listeners if you didn't think the Phillies were scumbags before you should definitely believe it now because they took my brain took my knowledge possibly I'm not sure someone read it because I got an actual very nice email in response and they applied it, and they're going to rip my heart that way now for the next seven years, however fucking long he's going to be on this team. Didn't they sign your guy Liriano too that offseason? You were saying that the Mets, no. they, which one that, was? There was another guy too, right? That was a different story. That was um, I don't want to trash someone who's like nice to me. Oh, now. Okay. we've made amends, but there was a person who writes for um um a publication out there who I submitted an article to, and I talked about Francisco Liriano being transitioning to a relief pitcher and how if he was a lefty specialist, this was before the three batter rule, he could be extremely effective. And I gave all these crazy stats, I made nice tables, and this person took everything I wrote 
and put it in their own article a month later. And I was I messaged them like, Are you okay. fucking kidding me? I wasn't sure if that was the same thing with the Phillies, but I knew that there was something there. Yeah, Zach Wheeler is really good, and for a team that just has trouble hitting, like we said, John Lester, we are really not going to hit Zach Wheeler, and we didn't. He was dominant. And like, luckily, he only threw five innings, came out of game with 93 pitches. And we did get to him in the fourth. Like, Brandon Nimmo got a leadoff base hit. Eventually, Javi brought him around to score after a lot of, like, struggling and actually trying to get Brandon Nimmo around the base pass. But now, since Zach Wheeler has left the Mets, he has um, made eight starts against us with Philadelphia. He's a 2.6 ERA, a 1.01 whip, and a 4-1 and record. All of those numbers are actually far worse than I thought they would be. Or far better, no. Yeah, far worse than I thought they would be. I figured this was going to be like a 180 RA, a .7 whip. And I feel like there's the one loss we roughed him up, I think. And that was like him coming off of an injury or coming off a layoff. And I remember being like, we just got to him. Like, we just got kind of got lucky. It had to have been like August of 2019 when we were hot. Yeah, uh, maybe something like that. It, he's he's going to dominate us. And it's just, it's a guy we could have had. It's a guy we could have kept. It's a guy we should have had because if everyone out there remembers his free agent negotiation, he was either engaged or about to be married at the time. And it's a girl from Summit, New Jersey, a town right near us. And he yeah. was completely committed to remaining in the tri-state area, basically telling everyone in baseball the only teams he would sign with were the Mets, Yankees, and Phillies. And the Phillies, I think, were the only team to actually offer him a deal. Which is just absurd. Bananas. For the quality of pitcher that was. Especially, like, just just knowing that the numbers were there. If me and you could see it, not that we're like these dumb idiots, like who are these schmoes who are saying stuff, but if the a baseball fan can see it and it's predictable, there's no reason a front office should have missed it. Thanks, Brody. Appreciate you, bud. Love Brody Van Wagen. Another weird part about this game was that Taiwan also left after pitching five innings, and he looked like not great, but he was fine. It was almost like... Joe Girardi and Luis Rojas made like a handshake deal. It's like five innings each, five innings each. We're going to leave this to our to our subpar bullpens. We're going to have some fun here tonight, guy. He was not particularly pleased with uh, being pulled from the game again, Taiwan. He brought it up after the game that uh, he didn't really have a say, that it's just he kind of gets pulled and he didn't agree with it necessarily and that he didn't really know why he was getting pulled either. He was a little bit confused, a little bit upset. He wasn't, you know, oh, F this team, like none of that kind of stuff, but he definitely was displeased with the fact that it's now a second or third start recently that he's gotten pulled before he felt like he was really done. And I think that, well, I understand Taiwan being upset because he's a competitor and he was pitching fine results-wise. Like there were some general reasons for him to come out of this game. Like his off-speeds were not missing many bats at all. Like there wasn't a lot of whiffs to go around. His forcing fastball was his most whiffed on pitch and the pitch that got the most called strikes. So... When Taiwan doesn't have the off-speeds working, you don't really want to leave him in there forever. And he was leading off in the fifth inning, and the Mets needed to get a base runner because they were down 2-1 at the time. And again, we talked about Javi tying up the game in the fourth after that Brandon Nimmo leadoff single. He gave up a home run directly after that to Brad Miller, so maybe. And the Philadelphia Philly lineup was about to come around for a third time. And again, not that it seemed like they were seeing him like super well, but it felt like something could happen. But the big issue here is something that has happened a lot of times in the Mets this season is that Taiwan Walker only throwing five innings meant that there was going to be one chaos inning because we had Loop ready to pitch, we had Lugo ready to pitch, and we had Diaz ready to pitch. That's only three innings. Three plus five is eight. And that chaos inning turned out to be none other than our favorite pitcher in the world, Brad fucking Hand. It it really is gotten to the point where it's like, how? How, how? How are we still doing this? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool or fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times, 
you're a fucking idiot. What about if you get fooled six times? Yeah, that seems to have, is that how many appearances Brad Hand has in New York Met? I would probably even take the over on that. It's just it's 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 insane, insane that they keep going to this bum on the mound. But also they go to him in a high leverage situation. Like Aaron Loop immediately came on to pitch the sixth inning after Taiwan Walker, and that's fine because Bryce Harper was due up, and Aaron Loop threw a clean sixth. Like sure, but when. Brad Hand came in the eighth inning. First of all, Brad Hand coming in the eighth inning is that's the there's no reason for that to happen besides like ten one or just like the fact that Brad Hand has saves in his career, like a high leverage guy. But this was once again the top of the order, and like Odell Odubel Herrera and uh, Gene Segura, Gene Gene the hitting machine, just laced two balls off him immediately, and he actually got Bryce Harper out, which is the only thing this like stupid fuck is I guess I guess can do. And then what are you gonna, like? Then what are you, you going to do out there? What are you going to do? Just so sick and tired of it. I love. I don't love it because I wish it didn't happen. But I love now that when Brad Hand comes out onto the mound, it's me and you. We're just receiving tweets saying, yeah. "Waiting for the Brad Hand tweet." And then it's like, "Yeah, because this guy stinks." I, you you text him. You're like, "I think he's listening to the podcast because he shaved his mustache." Mm-hmm. I thought we were like blocked. I checked my Twitter and was like, "Does Brad Hand have one?" So I'm like, "I'm not blocked." What could James be talking about? Mustacheless, still stinks. Terrible, but I think he might be a little bit intimidated by us. Maybe a couple more, a couple more poor outings, and he did give us another poor outing in the series. Of course, well, more to come, more to come. I just, just to like talk about baseball for a second because I we could talk about how bad the Mets are forever. In this situation, when you're down by one run and your pitcher who's pitching okay, good, not great, is leading off an inning, and you know you have to get through one more inning, what would you have done? <sighs> I think if you asked me this question at the beginning of the year. I probably let Taiwan go because I didn't expect the offense to be so anemic and so bad and just have no life whatsoever. But because the Mets, I mean, like one, a one run game has literally been the downfall of this team, losing by one run. And I mean, we saw it again in this series. So I, I think that's probably the right move. I think you, you have to get a little aggressive. You have to try to make something happen. Here's the problem is just that it doesn't matter because nobody hits on this team. So, like, you, it, it's picking the worst or the lesser of two evils, really. Do you want to have the bullpen get extended out a little bit more? And the bullpen's been great this year. Like, the guys who have been good have been really good. It's finding those lesser guys since, like, Drew Smith has been away, which, God, do we miss him. Holy I was shit. literally about to say that, that. That is the spot that's been taken by Brad Hand for some tragic reason. Like, literally... That is a curse on us based on how much we love Drew Smith and how highly we praised him this entire season, the offseason even, to take him away and replace him with the bane of my existence. It's cruel. It's disrespectful. It is. And it's just the lesser of two evils. You want to go with the bullpen or do you want to try and keep Taiwan in the game? Loop got the job done, so it's not like they made the wrong decision. I don't think that's why they lost. They still can't score runs. That's that's really what it comes down to. So either way, you're just not going to win with this team. It's kind of how it works. It's really shitty. It really sucks. I'm so like tired of analyzing every single move that Rojas makes because there really is no right answer with this team the way that they play. You're going to kill him for anything that he does. This one... I I get I could see the reasoning behind it, and that's all I need. I need to understand what the plan is. When he put in Familia in the eighth inning the other day, there was no rhyme or reason as to why that happened. There was no plan. I don't know what was going through his fucking mind. But this, I can at least understand, and that's what I need to see. Yeah, the only part of this that frustrates me is Brad Hand getting the eighth and not the sixth. Like, Correct. I would just rather— and that's bad. 
Yeah, I would rather Brad Hand pitch earlier in the game so we have more time to make the deficit up against a bad Phillies bullpen. Because the Mets did get to Archie Bradley. They put a couple runs on the board. It just wasn't enough. We couldn't get to Ian Kennedy for some goddamn reason. Who's been awful with the Phillies since getting there. He's throwing beach balls down the middle of the plate. No one can hit them. It's incredible how they've like got Zach Wheeler and helped him get to the next level. But seemingly every other pitcher there has just gotten worse. But that makes me think that the Zach Wheeler thing is just independent like of yeah. everything else that happens in Philadelphia. He did it on his own, or he was just always there. He just actually had to get healthy, had to shake the rust off his arm. You've heard Jacob deGrom talk about coming back from his Tommy John surgery. The, the Tommy John surgery that happened before, we're not saying anything else that should be happening, whatever, whatever. But he just had to like learn how to throw hard again. I think it took Zach Wheeler some time and probably some like general mental coaching to just throw hard again and just get your balls back. Yep, but... You know, whatever. We lost game one. There's nothing really much else to talk about here that's not going to be heartbreaking or devastating. I mean, we we lose another close game to the Phillies because this team really, at the end of the day, has an inability to score runs. And I think that's probably why these Brad Hand moves get even more magnified because any run that he gives up is one that we're not going to get back necessarily. Or in this game, that could be the difference between winning and losing. And that was that was the difference. Let's move on to game two because our guy Carlos Carrasco was on the mound, and you'll you'll never believe what happened, Mark. Okay, I'm, let me go out on a limb here. He gave up a first inning run, first inning home run. Gene Segura, Gene Gene the hidden machine. Gene Segura, man, that guy. For some reason, the Mets have no clue how to pitch to him. Absolutely no idea. I don't think anybody has a clue how to pitch to him. He, I know he is having a good year, but this is where we always go back and forth with this one. Is that I think in years past, before I've started to like learn a little bit more about like the the deep numbers in baseball, I would have loved Gene Segura. I would be like, that guy's a ball player right there. He is. He is a ball player. Major ball player. Big ball player. Big, like Keith Hernandez. Keith's got to love Gene Segura. Keith's like, that's a guy I want on my team. He's having a really good year, but this is like, I feel like one of the best seasons of his career outside of like that 2016 year in Arizona, but he's just kind of been like, fine until now and the Mets have always struggled but he's always been fine he plays decent defense in multiple positions he doesn't strike out he'll never hurt you he does the right things when he needs to like he'll make a productive out like he has a 118 WRC plus this year which you're 20 percent better than league average I'd love to have you on my team that's what love you I love you and the home run he hit in the first inning was a fucking bomb he got all of that ball and I looked it up but that was actually the fourth hardest ball that Gene Segura has hit in his entire career well, I don't need to hear that. I mean, come on. What did the other one come against? Edwin Diaz when he just destroyed our dreams as well, too? That one was not on this list. But three of those four highest balls have actually come this season. So Gene Segura might actually be hitting like a power renaissance in his, I want to say mid-30s. What, 33, 34? How old is Gene? 31. I looked up Gene Segura's numbers against the Mets. You ready for this? Career? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 61 games, 263 plate appearances, 10 home runs. 15 doubles, 4 triples, 32 RBIs. He's even stole 13 bases. Like, he's he just does everything. And his slash line is 324, 359, 541, 900 OPS. That is the second best OPS against a team that he has. You know who's the first team? The Rockies. You want to know why? Because he gets to play in Colorado. He just doesn't hit like this against any other team. That's 100 points higher than his slugging is this year at 453, and he's having one of the best power seasons of his entire career. Yes. Mets have no clue how to get him out. Absolutely no clue. Watching the game tonight with my dad, he's like, we got to sign this guy next year. I was like, I don't think he's a free agent. He's like, I don't care. We got to get him in Queens. 
He has like an extreme. He, he got a really, really good contract, team friendly. He's a free agent in 2023. Wow. All right. Good. Good for Gene. Yeah, five for 70. That's a great deal for everybody. Good deal all around. All right. But bring it back to the Mets because we could talk. I could talk about Gene Segura for hours, and you know that. Yes, I have. You, it's you happened do before. love Gene Segura. You are a Gene Segura guy. He's such a good ball player. I hate that he's on the Phillies killing the Mets, but he does kill the fucking Mets. But just to come back to Carrasco. In 10 starts now this year, he's given up 16 earned runs in the first inning. Great. It's crazy. 14 and a half ERA in the first inning. It's really <laughs> fucking dumb. It's so stupid. And of course, like every other start, he settled in super well after that. He gave up just one more home run to Gene Segura because how can you not give up home runs to Gene Segura? How can you not? He's the best hitter in baseball. I, I literally lost the fantasy baseball semifinals week because of Gene Segura. Oh, I can't believe he wasn't on your team. That's your guy. I know. He's my guy. I usually take him in rotisserie because I get the batting average and a couple stolen bases here and there. But... After the first inning, Carlos Carrasco pitched five more. He got five Ks. He only had four hits. One of them was the other home run to Gene Segura. His changeup had five whiffs and 11 swings. His slider had five called strikes. Like, I know a lot of these morons on Twitter that we love to refer to so callously and so often really just want to kill Carlos Carrasco. They want his head on the stake like Piggy. But he's, like, super fine. Like, if you want to pick out problems with this team, I, you can't start with Carlos Carrasco. No, he's not the issue here. I will say it's it's worth noting, first inning, we've talked about his pitch selection in the first inning. Fastball, sinker, changeup. No pitch outside of that. Or he threw one slider, and it was a JT Ramuto. He just, I, I, I guess that's his MO. I guess that's his thing. He just like, I'm going to come out and throw fastballs. That's what I do. And the best pitchers in baseball are able to do that, like keep something back for the, when you go to the lineup a second and third time. But I guess that Carrasco just, again, doesn't have his sea legs yet. And he's not that top 20 pitcher I say it's every single episode that he has been in years past he might be next year it's possible when he gets a real offseason real spring training and he doesn't have a torn hamstring the whole fucking time it could but maybe he just does need to mix it up more be a little bit more creative early because when you it's so tough to win a game when you go into an early hole when you can't fucking score runs no and if we could score runs this wouldn't even be probably as much of a narrative it would probably be like Carrasco gave up another one and people would be laughing but the fact is that we play from behind, it feels like all the time, and it's not really the pitching fault. It's because we can't score runs. If it's not Javi Baez, Lindor, Alonzo, or Nimmo, we're getting nothing. Uh, Conforto's been hitting pretty well. Okay, yeah, true. But uh, for the whole year, I'm still not putting him there. Of course, and the first two runs we got in this game did not even leave the infield. The first two of three, I don't want to say like the first two of eight. Like, yeah. <laughs> the only two runs we got until the last inning of this game did not leave the infield. No. Which is just not a great offensive showing. It's it's really, really hard to win games when you can't hit. And this is like something we've even talked about with old Mets teams. The issue, your pitching can be as good as ever. You can have the best pitching in the league. But if you just can't score more runs than the team that you're, that you're playing, you physically can't win. And that's kind of what the Mets are running into this year. Not scoring enough runs. That's why they're losing. I feel like you can circle it and you can stamp it. That is the reason. Definitely, especially when you're facing a guy like Aaron Nola, who for some reason, whenever he walks into the city field, he gets all the strikeout stuff back. Yeah. He's had a pretty up and down season in terms of the way Aaron Nola has pitched in his career. It's a technically called a down year. I'm higher on him than most. I still think he's fantastic. But it's probably because whenever he faces the Mets, he strikes everybody out. Every single person. He struck out 10 guys in a row. Broke Tom Seaver's record. It's a killer. Striking nine guys in five innings this game. <laughs> It was so frustrating, so frustrating, and what was the real cherry on top? This is what it was great because we lose this game 5-3. to three. You know how those extra two runs came in or why or how it started? Brad Hand. Brad motherfucking Hand. That dude. Again! They went to him again! I don't understand. I can't <laughs> even believe it. 
back-to-back days. I think it was either the seventh or eighth inning again. For some reason, Brad Hendricks is just our new high-leverage reliever. It was it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. He like technically May gave up the runs. Or well, Brad Hand got the earned runs, but May is the one who like had them score I and mean, come home. But like, oh. How does Brad Hand get the inning over Trevor May? I don't care if Trevor May's struggling. One guy has been good this year. The other one is Brad Hand. What is your choice? What is your option? I, I don't even care if Bryce Harper's up. I don't want to see Brad Hand in. Brad Hand was the first reliever out of the Mets bullpen on Saturday night. Uh, that's disgusting. That is disgusting. Also, I have a funny trivia question for you here. Okay. Who do you think has a lower ERA this year? Three guys. Trevor May, Miguel Castro, Neri's Familia. It's got to be Miguel Castro. It's Miguel Castro. He's the lowest yeah. ERA of those three guys. Where's Miguel Castro been, by the way? He pitched the eighth inning in this game after we gave up the runs in the seventh. Okay, okay, okay. I was like, I feel like he went from being like so used a lot to now Brad Hand pitches. I, it's just like when this game was over, I was just thinking to myself, like, how in the world could we have lost five straight games to the Cardinals and the Phillies? Can you imagine how different this could have been? If we could have just been three and two? Yeah. Still got to fight. But this was just like a reliving of our childhood nightmares. Like, all the horrible paranoia and anxiety and stress from, like, 2006 through 2008 came, like, just rushing and flooding back into my brain and my bloodstream. These teams aren't even good. Like, we're not good either. But, like, I wish you could just, like, win, be 500 against the mediocre teams. I feel like the most annoying part about it is, especially maybe for me, maybe not as much for you, but, like, then having to deal with the Cardinals and Phillies fans that I say their team isn't good. The worst part about these losses are all my Twitter followers. Yeah, of course. But like, cause you can't you can't rationalize with people that this team isn't good because there's just like oh you're just upset because the Mets lost. I'm like I am upset that the Mets lost, but I'm upset because they lost to a bad team, a team that's just simply not that good. The crazy thing is, there's a good chance that at least one of these teams are going to make the playoffs because of this run. If you look at the remaining schedules for both of them, it's kind of ridiculous. The Brewer, the, the Cardinals, the rest of the season have alternating series with the Brewers and the Cubs. That's a great way for the Cardinals to, again, just go 500 and just sneak right into that stupid wildcard spot. And beat the Dodgers. They're not going to beat the Dodgers. You can't You can't put that in the universe. Just don't say oh, that shit. Oh, it, it, it's been brewing on Twitter. Everyone is like, it's going to happen. Just wait. And, I mean, granted, the Padres have been struggling, but they just trounced the Padres this weekend. The Padres are like a half a baseball team right now. I remember when we were excited in June about beating the Padres. What a joke that was. That team Maybe that's when we should have known that the Padres were doomed, is when we beat them and had, had our way with them. Won the season series against the Padres. That was fun. That was cool for a, a week. It meant a lot then. Uh. Just uh, This season could be so different. It should be so different, and it's not. And these last two series really just sum it up well. Game two, shit show. Thanks for nothing. Let's talk about game three. Sunday, so we win, because we won, what, five straight Sundays, I think five you told me? Five straight Sundays. And I feel like at the beginning of the year, we couldn't win on Sunday. We'd win the first two, and we'd always lose Sunday. So it's another roller coaster of emotions. It's just a different way of doing it now. Now we win on Sunday and lose the other two. It's because nothing can be easy. The beginning of the, series, the season, we couldn't get sweeps because we were actually good. Now we're not going to get swept because we're bad, you know? Not going to let that happen. Well, we got swept by the Cardinals. I can't say that. It just happened. We just got swept. But, uh, fuck, damn it. <laughs> damn was it on the weekend? That's why. You know, weekday sweep. Weekday sweep. No one's watching. No back pages there. 
No, no back pages. Rich Hill was good, though, again, because Rich Hill has just like kind of figured something out that's going to make him stick around a little bit longer. This probably goes against most of the things I say usually, but I want Rich Hill on this team next year. Wow. That, I fucking that love does Rich Hill. Most things. He's a gamer. He's just, the guy loves playing baseball. He wants the ball, and he does not want to give it up. He like always had that role with like the Dodgers, too. Like He would only throw five innings, yeah, and yeah. like you'd be like, he has 65 pitches. He's given up two hits. Why is he getting pulled after five? And he would fight. And he was like, I'm not coming out of this game. And Dave Roberts was like, you have to, man. Like, come on, dude. Like, you're older than me. There's just no way. <laughs> you're older than me. You're much bigger than me. And, and I know you got arrested that one time at the Patriots game for being drunk. So I don't want to fuck with you right now. But I'm really happy I harped on Rich Hill Slyther for a couple weeks because it's just totally dead now. He hasn't thrown one <laughs> last two starts. I think that the slow curve is still the Slyther because he's dropping the arm slot. And it has, like, a little bit more horizontal movement than his curveball and much less vertical movement. And he got three whiffs on three swings. The Phillies were just just flailing at that thing. But it's just fun to watch Rich Hill pitch. He's just, he's just watching baseball in a time machine. He doesn't particularly get you excited. You're not going to be like, whoa, 86 on the corner. Yeah. But you can appreciate that despite not having this plus stuff by any means, he gets the job done. He's been really good with the Mets. A pickup that I feel like the Mets caught a little bit of heat for. Like, oh, you grabbed Rich Hill. Sticky stuff, he hasn't been that good, and he's turned out to be better than advertised. The craziest thing about the second half is that the Mets absolutely had a slam dunk with the trade deadline. The guys that they got, they slam yeah, yeah, dunked. Yeah. They didn't get enough, that was the issue. Well, I think they just believed in the guys in this team, like Jeff McNeil, Michael Conforto, and Dom Smith a little bit too much, which, at the, like, that's not the craziest thing in the world, to believe that you would get bounced back from the guys who are, like, central parts of your organization. Because, like, at some point, you have to think to yourself, these guys don't bounce back, we need to move elsewhere. So let me put them in a sink or swim situation. Like, sure, again, I've said it time and time again. Like, I wish we had Adam Duvall. Lee's National League at RBIs. I wish we got Eddie Rosario hit for the fucking cycle today. The fewest, the fewest amount of pitches ever seen in a cycle, Eddie Rosario. He, he is allergic to walking. He's allergic to walking. He loves swinging at the first pitch. But when he hits the cycle, it fucking works. Jorge Soler, we're listing Braves right now. But it's the goddamn truth. Like, we couldn't just get three of those guys, two of them, one of them. Who just one. Them? Just one, even. It makes one of the guys in the outfield who probably win two or three more games right now. We're still losing. We're still not making the playoffs, but at least it wasn't as awful to watch. No, and at least I don't have to see Albert Almora, which luckily uh, didn't have to watch much of him because no. he's not on the team right now. I think he got sent down again, right, or optioned yeah, or whatever. Yeah, he, he was optioned, but back to the players on the field. It was nice to see Dom actually stroke one. He's kind of been doing it more in this like weird pinch-hitting role, which is also weirdly something that earned him more playing time was he was coming off the bench and swinging the bat a little bit better no today didn't pinch it but it's like the idea of that dom's not this everyday player to almost get something going in his head where it's like i gotta make it worth it when i play i I don't know that's that's not something we can really rely on but again because mets fans like love dom smith a lot of the mets fans love dom smith but when he hits a ball solidly people act like he invented sliced bread and it's just, <laughs> like, why could this be something that we are so like, oh, he did it, Tom Smith is back, yeah, yeah, I, I, I just can't see Tom Smith being anything more than a platoon player at this point for the rest of his career. Anything more than a platoon player, and again, has to be at first base, it can't be anywhere else, you just can't, cannot touch the outfield, can't, shouldn't even be near grass. And I think the Mets have confirmed that belief in the last few weeks. Dom on the season... His numbers, 11 homers, 18 doubles, and 478 plate appearances, a 672 OPS. As good as he'd been the last two years, it's a shame that it all kind of just gets thrown away because this is a awful, awful season. This is 
the worst season statistically almost of his career. Like he had those weird rough stretches of like those 60 games with the Mets in 17 and 18 where he was bad. He's he's basically that player right now. And he just looks like kind of sluggish out there. The, the fitness level. Not that he's like, like he once was, but he just doesn't seem to have like, have like a strong of a body. No, uh, the swings have been weak. He hasn't been hitting the ball particularly hard, which would fall into why he doesn't have the extra base hits. I mean, 29 extra base hits on the year. That's just so, that's miserable. That's so bad. I feel bad for the guy. He shouldn't be playing like this. But again, maybe this is a little bit on us for falling in love and overhyping what we saw in what was really an 139-game stretch. With a much bouncier baseball. Yes, with a very, very different baseball. And not a lot of scouting reports on him. No, nothing nothing at all. No one really knew what was going on. And now it seems like people know exactly what was going on, how to get Dom Smith out. Yes, this also seemed to be a game of the guys who had been struggling, kind of stepping up. Jeff McNeil, for the love of God, finally got his first home run since August 1st, which is insane to say. A lot of talk about Jeff McNeil on the broadcast from A-Rod. A-Rod loves Jeff McNeil because, of course, he did. Because A-Rod was never even remotely the type of player that Jeff McNeil is. A-Rod falls in love with these guys that just, it doesn't even make sense. I don't know how that's the guy he falls in love with. We love Jeff. But for A-Rod to love Jeff McNeil makes no sense whatsoever. But he was talking about, he was talking to somebody. I don't know who he was saying. He's like, but they were like, Jeff McNeil needs hits. If that guy's not getting hits he's not going to be playing baseball well. And I was like, that's kind of a dumb thing to say because, you know, that is Jeff McNeil's game. But I also 100% understood what he said, and you've talked about it before. The red ass, man, the dude is just pressing. He got robbed in game two. McCutcheon made a sick play on him. He can't buy a hit. This one, luckily, nobody could get a glove on. He crushed it. This was the power swing that we've seen Jeff McNeil have in the past when he's had these hot stretches with power where he just has that low in wheelhouse and will just get the bat head out and crush the ball because he can do that that's possible it's within his repertoire it's in that toolbox it's just something is just so wrong that we don't see it enough and I think he's basically played his way out of an everyday role for next season I do wonder if the hamstring thing that has been bothering him hundred thousand percent he's still not running a hundred percent yeah so like I wonder if that's also dealing a little bit with the inconsistencies and the fact that like there's just been so many ground balls from him they showed his uh spray chart on ground balls hit like 10% of the ground balls to the left side of the infield and things that we talked about again. You just shift against Jeff McNeil. You are, you're really going to kill his game. Yeah, especially because he's not able to lift the ball right now. And when he does hit on the ground, it's not especially hard. He doesn't have the exit velocity as a lot of elite, elite hitters in baseball had. I think he used to get by with like a, a spray approach, but I think it was a little bit overblown. He was able to get these cheap hits. And now that there's more data and more information, teams just around the league generally are smarter. He doesn't get those cheap hits anymore. And Jeff McNeil really thrived on those just singles, hits. Scrappy baseball player. He was super scrappy. He still is. Still playing great defense out in the outfield. His OAA this year is in the 90th percentile. 90th. I couldn't even believe that because you watch Jeff out there and you don't, by no means you don't go, he's bad. But I don't think of him as like this great, fantastic love in left field. 90th percentile is legit stuff. I think... Where Jeff McNeil lacks as an outfielder is that he doesn't run around with, like, grace. Yes. Like, you don't see Jeff McNeil, like, take a nice leisurely stroll to a ball that looks like could be in the gap. Like, really just pull it in like Ligaris used to do. Just find the spot, walk over there really casually. Like, how is he covering all this ground? Jeff McNeil is, uh, he's kind of like a percussion set, while a lot of other outfielders are, like, a nice, like, a nice, like, saxophone, nice jazz ensemble. Yes. Smooth. Yeah, not Jeff. Not Jeff. Jeff is Jeff is anything but smooth. Glad to see him get the home run, though. Glad he smiled. He smiled for the first time in three or four months. So that was nice to see, too. 
Jeff McNeil's last home run August 1st. That was like before preseason football began. That feels like another year. That, that's when the Mets thought they could still make the playoffs. <laughs> well, we thought the Mets could still make the playoffs a week ago. That's true. Yeah, we forget about that. We'll move past that. Uh, positive note here, too. I mean, Mets did win this game, and hey, we used Aaron Loop in a high-leverage situation, and it worked. Worked really fucking well. He bailed out Seth Lugo after two base runners were on with, with Bryce Harper coming up in the seventh. Got Bryce Harper out, and he continued to pitch in the eighth. He got four out very easily. Brought his season-long ERA down to a 1.00, which is literally the best ERA in baseball for any pitcher with a minimum of 50 innings thrown. That's so crazy that Aaron Loop is the guy who holds that. This dude got ran out of Toronto. He was bad there. The Rays tinkered, fixed something, and now he's here in New York, and he has been sick. So much so where he's probably going to get himself another contract with the Mets, I would assume. I think he's going to get himself another contract, but I'm not so sure it's with the Mets. I think that the re-sign... Uh, oh, sh- we got Brad Hand. I forgot my bad. No yeah, we have, we have our lefty stopper now for next year. But I think that the re-sign chatter around Brad, uh, Aaron Loop, I almost said Brad Hand. If I would have said that, I would have just ended the podcast on the spot. Yeah, shut, the, shut, the, shut the laptop. Shut it down! <laughs> shut it down! But when you get relievers like Aaron Loop who do this, it almost is counterproductive to then reward him with a large contract. I want him to get paid. I would love yeah. for Aaron Loop to go to Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, $8 million a year, 24 for three, have a fucking ball out there for the rest of, for rest of your career, brother. But, like, the whole point is that you have to try and do this again with a guy who costs a million dollars. Like, that's how you win this, not giving him a fat deal. Oh, I by no means want, like, the massive contract to come from us. If he wants to stay around for the three, four million, hell Perfect. yeah, Aaron Lock Luke, it up. stick around. I'll, I'll give you 10 years for three million a year, whatever, but... Four, mil- four million a year, and I bring him one case of Bush Light a week. Deal. I'm in. Sign it up. Who yeah. says no? Who says no to that? Who says no? I'll say yes. I'll say yeah. we're in. Aaron Loop, if you're in, we're in. That's all we're saying here. But he was good, and it was nice to see him used properly in a high-leverage situation because, wow, shocker, Aaron Loop can handle it. We didn't have to go to Brad Hand to get these outs. Well, also, I'm sure Brad Hand was unavailable after pitching on back-to-back days. We have to save Brad Hand for the stretch. God, and then Diaz got it done. Boy, did he make it interesting because he has to, especially against the Phillies. Bryce Harper points to the sky and to the warning track. I go, oh, God, no, please. You pointed. This can't be good. That ball's hit hard. Jeff McNeil camped under it. Mets win the game. I had this crazy thought while... Gene Segura was up, and there was a man on first and one out, Bryce Harper on deck, as to whether or not Edwin Diaz could possibly get a double play. And I thought to myself, no one ever hits ground balls against Edwin Diaz. And I thought to myself, I don't know if I've ever seen Edwin Diaz get a double play while in the Mets. So I want to ask you, how many double plays do you think Edwin Diaz has been on the mound for as a Met? I know this year, I think there's been one. So I'm going to say he gets one a year. That puts him at three. The answer is two. Wow, it's less than one a year. And one of them was a line drive. <laughs> so literally, like, there's no, like, grounded into a double play. He's just one got ground, double plays. One ground ball double play. As a yeah, man. I mean, he just doesn't have that kind of stuff. He no, doesn't really, like, living in low in the zone kind of isn't his thing either. I just still thought, like, at some point, you're pitching so many innings, like, there was going to be some kind of statistical anomaly, a ball hit in the ground with a man on first. It is, it is shocking that no one's just, like, gotten on top of one. And hit it hard into the ground. One time. (laughs) Like, you would think that there's just, like, a pitch that, like, they were just a little off on at one point. One time. One time this year. Two times as a New York Met. That's uh, crazy. Fucking nuts. Doesn't really matter, but it is definitely a stat that is is worth talking about. It's eye-opening here. Mets win. Whoop-de-fucking-do. 
We took one of three from the Phillies because we just, uh, we don't got it. We don't got the juice. We definitely don't, which I think leads us into our next discussion here, which is going to be about this executive front office chatter that's been going around Twitter world. Ken Rosenthal uh, of The Athletic, I believe, published an article about Billy Bean and the possibility with a New York Mets, uh, you know, contract there. um, I would call it a reunion. A reunion, yes, uh, with Bob Melvin as well being involved. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on, I I mean, I think we know what you're going to say about Billy Bean. I obviously would like him. He seems like he'd be a perfect fit for the president of baseball ops. But if he comes with Bob Melvin, does that make you even more enticed, or are you like maybe a little less, a little hesitant? I think I'm definitely more enticed. I think Bob Melvin's a very good baseball manager, and I, I'm not as down on Luis Rojas as most people are that exist in the world. It seems like 99.9 percent of people want to like throw Luis Rojas off the Arizona Bridge. I don't think he's done like a bad job. I don't think you can really point to Luis Rojas as a problem with this team, and I truly don't even know if he's done enough to like to be fired. Like I don't understand how. We could put all the problems with this team, not being able to hit on Luis Rojas. But you can't really talk down on Bob Melvin's pedigree and the way he's been able to manage, especially under Billy Bean's like guidance. Like Those two have very clear chemistry, a very clear rapport, and I think that it would be a legitimate slam dunk to build them in. And Ken Rosenthal, as well as guys like John Heyman, Bill Madden, all of these very inside baseball guys have been saying this now for about a week straight and to the point where I'm really beginning to think that it's a legitimate possibility something that I said I just thought could happen a few months ago yeah if the Mets somehow were able to swing Billy Bean as the president of baseball ops through the moon I'm excited that's a move that I think would be a really nice step forward into the offseason that would be something that makes me feel like we're going in the right direction we finally have the guy who is smart he's ahead of things he knows what to do and now he's gonna have money to spend that's scary for me with billy bean the reason why the the a's had to do all this stuff is because they didn't have money to spend he had to find like you've said with farhan zaidi those market inefficiencies and find the gaps and all that so if you can find those gaps and still get those cheap players to fill out roster spots lower down the list and then mix them in with the stars that we can bring into new york that's a Damn scary combination right there. And I'm I'm super excited to see if we can make that happen. That's that's something I want to see. And then on top of it, to bring Bob Melvin, who I think is one of the most underrated managers in baseball. That guy just wins all the time with teams that are not nearly as good as some of the bigger payroll clubs in baseball. People say, you know, you said, how much can we blame Luis Rojas for the hitting? And I'm with you. It's not on him. He's not, if these guys aren't going to hit, it's not on Luis Rojas' fault. In the same aspect, if you want to talk about a guy getting the most out of his players, Bob Melvin is 100% one of those dudes because, I mean, they'll pull guys out of their butt too that you go like, that, guy, that guy's playing well, that guy's having a rejuvenated career, this guy's doing this, and his bullpen management is always pretty cash money too. They have one of the strongest bullpens every year with guys you've never heard of. Yeah, but while they're guys you've never heard of, they're all very talented guys. Like yes, yes. Shmero Petit, I've said it before, is the best, best kept secret in baseball. The guy's fucking incredible. And... I just think that there is so much like narrative momentum that would make this move really like logical. Again, we're like we're connecting dots right now and doing this kind of shit, but just the fact that Billy Bean, his playing career, like started with the Mets. The Mets drafted them in the first round of the of the MLB draft. He was a highly talented prospect, went to shit, didn't work out. Sandy Alderson gave Billy Bean his first shot at a front office role. I don't think in a scouting role, but I think in a front office role, I believe. That's a major connection right there. Billy Bean needs a ring 
if he really wants to enter that pantheon of the greatest sports executives of all time, something that he has kind of been passed in the most in recent years by a lot of other executives in Major League Baseball who have been better than him, more impressive than him, won more than him, actually gotten to the mountaintop a time or two. And Steve Cohen really, 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 very much, it's so obvious, wants to do some crazy shit this offseason. I think that starts with getting a very high-profile name to come in and run this team. And on top of that, Billy Bean has been flirting the last few years with the idea of leaving the athletics. I know he's, I think, part of the ownership group for some European soccer club. I believe, I want to say Liverpool. He jumped in that group with all the Americans who did that before because he's talked about basically bringing Moneyball to soccer, something that we've actually talked about off and I think would be fascinating development. Yeah, And he even floated the idea this offseason. He basically broke up with the A's for like a few weeks and left and went to like a private business group and ended up coming back. And I believe that this is all because of the Marcus Semien uh, issue and falling out, not offering Marcus Semien, a homegrown player who went to Berkeley from uh, Northern California, not giving him a fucking qualifying offer. Crazy. $18 million for a guy who now has 40 home runs, a catalyst in literally the best offense in baseball. Like, you add all those things up, and it really seems like there's a good chance that Billy Bean is not the head executive of the Oakland A's next year. And maybe he's not with the Mets, but I just don't see him being with the A's. The only hurdle to jump is his ownership stake in that team. Yes, that is one thing that's going to make it super interesting because uh, he cannot work for the Mets and have an ownership stake in the Oakland A's. Not allowed. No, not allowed. Well, Steve Cohen's got cash. It's what we call a conflict of interest. Yes. Pay him <laughs> out, baby. I, I'd love to get him here. I really would. And it seems like the growing sentiment is that Rojas is going to be on his way out. And as much as Sandy seems like he's going to stick around, I think a guy like Billy Bean could be the dude to push him out. I think Sandy is the insurance policy right now, so we'll see. And I think that Sandy, while it's very clear that he's uh, not really fit for this role anymore, he's very well-respected still around the game, especially of the older generation of the game that Billy Bean falls into. And maybe Billy Bean is behind a guy like David Stearns or some of the other high-profile executives from some of the more sharp teams this like that have come on recently, but... I don't know, I think he could really bring a lot to what the Mets want to do. Some instant credibility to the front office. Yeah, I think I'd be concerned with Billy Beans, like, you know, falling behind if the A's were a team that have also fallen behind. But that's a team that continues to be towards the top of that division. So, like, for me, and not that you're worried about it, that's not what I'm taking away, but if I felt like there was that issue, I, I feel like I could see it more, but he's still putting out some damn good teams with absolutely nothing. That, to me, is is something I want. They are damn good teams with nothing, but I think he has fallen off a little bit recently. Like, just the last, like, four years, his teams haven't really packed the same punch as, I guess, like, 15 years ago when he was the only guy using math in his front office, basically. <laughs> but you can you can expect that. And, like, I don't want, like, Billy Bean to come to the Mets and become Dave Dombrowski. Like, I have money, now I have to use it. Like, Correct. You still need to, like, bring, like, I want to say, like, the money ball sentiments to the Mets. You still want to be able to find those, like, gems on the waiver wire. You still want to be able to pull, like, a Lutrovino or a Frankie Montes or a Chris Bassett. And then you have to have the analysts on your staff and your player development systems within to turn those guys into studs. And something that Billy Bean has lacked with tremendously over the last decade plus with the Oakland Athletics is developing high-profile young players. The A's very consistently have these barren rosters because their prospects are generally dog shit. They very consistently take first-round picks, guys like high-profile international signings, and do not turn them into stars. Don't even really turn them into useful players often. You look up and down the, Rays, the A's roster, and besides guys who are the kind of locks like Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, and Marcus Semien, literally first-round picks, like 
there's not a lot of filler there of guys who really should have been good and should have taken steps. That's a fair, that's definitely a fair point that they have struggled a little bit with that prospect development for sure recently. I think more so than who's going to be the leader of this front office, I think the Mets need to reevaluate who are the other guys that are working the inner the inner workings of everything because I mean I put out a tweet the on Saturday night when the Mets couldn't hit and it was like we got to we got to clear house of everybody that's touching hitting. Whatever we're doing from a hitting spot here, I'm sorry. I know we had this big thing about Hugh Hugh Quattlebaum might be your boy, but holy shit, it's not working. The Mets offense has just plummeted, and whatever the planning, the approach, the philosophy is right now is broken. I think we're 140 games into the season now. There's no longer like, it might, they just got to buy 150. in. 150, they got to buy in. It doesn't work. We need to get the right guys in the right spot. People are soup, especially in Mets Twitter world, it feels like very anti-analytic right now. Which they is think insane. that the Mets are doing too many analytics, and you even said it. You think they might be doing some of the least, probably, in baseball. I wouldn't say the least in baseball, but I think that what people think are analytics are certainly not analytics. Yeah. Like, like the decision-making processes that a lot of times people, again, perceive Luis Rojas to be making. Like, there doesn't seem that it's as analytic as most people believe it to be. Like, people think, like, taking out a starting pitcher with 88 pitches, like, fuck analytics. Like, yeah. what are you talking about, man? Analytics is like processes you use to like build a team and like create again like i just said the word a process of how we're going to make these decisions day in and day out we didn't take the guy out because the ada pitches we took the guy out because his last three innings were much worse and we didn't want to face bad at their time because we know that this guy faced good at this pitch it's just like the general action of using as much information as possible and to say it doesn't work there's a broken record that's fucking ridiculous if you watch any baseball play you see the best teams in the league these are the smartest teams in the league these teams use the most math. Teams have the most analysts. I've said it a million times. Giants have the most fucking coaches in baseball. These guys, like, fuck. Like, how can you watch the Rays play baseball? A team with the best record. They're going to go for 100 wins. They're, they're tied for the most runs in the league with teams like the Blue Jays and the Astros and the White Sox. And you can't name. The average baseball fan cannot name three or four guys on that starting lineup. No way. No, definitely not. And... This offensive juggernaut has come like recently. Like they've exploded in the last month. They've been one of the best offensive teams in baseball since the, the trade deadline. We're getting off topic here, but like we need to model our, our franchise off teams like that, not the way the Mets have been over the last ten years. Because like I, the Mets were under the Wolpons, especially like before Brody came in, one of the least sharp teams in baseball in terms of analytics. They literally, it was very like noted that the Mets had the least analysts on staff in baseball for years, like single-digit number of analysts, when teams like the Rays were already employing numbers in like the 30s and 40s and 50s. Like, you have to be on top of this shit. Get as much information and data as possible and fucking use it. Yep. I'm hoping Steve Cohen, who has said that he wants to be, you know, one of the more analytically-based teams, one of the leading ones in Major League Baseball, I hope that comes true. I hope it comes true because that combination of the, you know, the smarts and the information, along with the unlimited money that the New York Mets have, is very scary. There's another team in baseball that has a very similar kind of budget and is at the top of the analytic game, and that is the Los Angeles Dodgers, and they've been one of the best teams in baseball for the last 10 years. I would love to be the Dodgers. The Astros are also the, built of the exact same milk, and I don't know why. Out built of, all of the these... exact same milk? Ilk, ilk, ilk. Oh, I was like, built of the same milk. That's not an expression. 2%, baby, 2 fucking percent, a day in and day out. But the one executive's name who I've not heard yet, who I really thought would have come up, is Jeff Lunau. Yeah, I feel like he's kind of still a little bit of black cat here. 
he could be a player, though, still. I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's going to have to be a mystery player that comes in because Theo Epstein is no chance, 0% yeah. chance. It's not going to happen. I don't want it to happen. It seems like David Stearns has way too good of a thing going in Milwaukee. And Billy Bean, while a lot of it makes sense, it's just because we're connecting dots. And there's tons of hurdles that would have to be jumped through to do that. And tons of teams have tried to lure Billy Bean before, and it's never worked out. And it does seem like he actually wants to be a part of a, a fucking soccer club. So there has to be another big name here that hasn't been approached yet, and someone who would be very eager to take a shot, and he would need to go to an organization that was very willing to take a risk and not really that concerned with bad press, which it doesn't seem like this new Mets regime is. No. Yeah, I, I'd love to see the Mets. Lou now built the Astros as we know them right now, and while he was very much caught up in the entire cheating scandal, Jeff Lunau knows something. I mean... That guy built a juggernaut. A juggernaut. They didn't even need to cheat. That's the worst part. I'd love to have him build that juggernaut here. That guy is, and I want to quote Rick James on this, cold-blooded. <laughs> he doesn't give a fuck. He, he doesn't, doesn't give a fuck. He wants I to think, win. And I think Stevie is really fucking similar. And I think we get two like high-profile, big-wig business economic executives in the front office here. Twitter would go b- ballistic. The SJWs would freak the fuck out. But we would win some ball games. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I just want to win ball games. That's all I want. Oh man. Speaking of ball games here, quick preview. We got who do the Red Sox on Tuesday and Wednesday? Two game Tuesday series in Boston. Two game set. Second two game set against the Red Sox this year. And remember the last one in April? That was hell. That was hell. Absolute hell. And oh, what do you know? The Red Sox, well, it was the Orioles that they beat around this weekend. Uh they they got hot again. So yep. it's it's perfect timing. We get to play the Red Sox when they're swinging the bats well. This will be fun, though, because I consider this series a win-win. Either the Mets actually win games, and I don't like feel like death for these next couple of days, or the Mets lose games to the team that the Yankees are chasing, and that's okay, too. That's okay, too. Would, we'll take that victory. as a We'll take that loss as a victory. At least the Red Sox are going to still be at the playoffs over the Yankees, which, oh, my God. What a disappointing season. Oh, so awful. So So, so awful. Uh, thank you guys for listening, though. Thank you guys for being a part of this, watching, despite the season being dead in the water we still are getting a bunch of listens and the youtube videos are doing well and the twitter and the tweets and everything are are going super great so do appreciate all the amazing support you guys have continued to show us make sure you're following us on twitter instagram tiktok at messed up youtube channel messed up podcast follow james on twitter at jeter had no range follow me at giraffe neck mark with a c um yeah that's pretty much it for episode number 51 give us a rating drop us a review Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. And we'll catch you after the Boston Red Sox series. That'll be a, that'll be a short episode for sure. We only yeah. have two games to talk about. 11 minutes. 11 minutes. Hey, you heard it here first. 11-minute podcast coming next time. But whatever it is, we'll be here after the Red Sox series. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. See you next time. Peace out. Thank you, guys. See you next time. And big shout-out to all of the listeners who actually listened to the end of the episode and heard me drop dust, dust in the wind at the end of the last one because this season has become dust in the wind. So thank you, guys.